and we're live <clears throat> all right guys what's going on uh here jay as usual uh kind of picking up the slack for daniel as he's uh you know dealing with being a new dad uh we have a guest on today travis finley uh, i know him from my time in the army he was in the 173rd with me <clears throat> and now he actually has delved into bodybuilding competitions so uh travis introduce yourself yeah so i'm travis finley uh like as jay said i was with uh him in the 173rd um currently still in uh, an airborne instructor uh, we're at uh, fort benning right now um and then bodybuilding in my off time is uh is a hobby so yeah and he is an 11 charlie i know some of you guys always talk about uh, being a mortar and stuff like that so he's going to be on here to talk about that process um being chosen and things like that before we probably get to some of that airborne stu stuff too they'll be interested in the airborne school as well um <clears throat> but to get it started off um travis I guess we'll start off with, um, I want to kind of get to know your recruiting process. They ask us about recruiting all the time and everybody sort of has like a different story of how they joined and how the recruiter was that they dealt with. Um, especially versus the 11 X contract where it's, you know, the Charlie or the Bravo. So right. why don't you just tell us a little bit about that process for you? Yeah. So as far as the recruiting process, uh, I went to the recruiting station, um, wanted to be an 11 Bravo. Um, infantry man probably like the majority of the guys yes and uh you know they said that we don't have 11 bravo we have 11 x-ray um which is essentially you're in like a limbo phase you go in as a 11 x your candidate um and then they choose whether you're 11 bravo or you're 11 charlie did you um, have any um did you have any insight into how they chose was it literally just like there was a list of names and they just cut it somewhere so that's essentially how, how it worked. Uh, I went back to my recruiting station after looking online um, at 11, 11 X-Ray um, and uh, noticed that there was 11 Bravo and 11 Charlie. Well, 11 Charlie, I looked at and it was indirect fire infantrymen. And I was like, well, I don't want to be indirect fire. I want to be direct, direct fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be direct fire. Um so I think I going into basic, I was one of the, the few guys that knew what 11 Charlie was prior to going because I went back to my recruiter and said, hey, I, I, I looked online and there's an 11 Charlie, like 11 X-ray, you go either way. I don't want to be 11 Charlie. And uh, he's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you you won't be 11 Charlie. You'll you know, you need really high scores for that. You'll be a, you'll be 11 Bravo. Um, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Cause after, after I got to basic training, uh, once we were at like, you know, 30th AG, they pretty much split the room. So they were like, Hey, these guys over here, you guys are 11 Bravos. These guys over here were, were 11 Charlies. And I was, uh, intermixed with that. Um, oh, so, so it yeah. wasn't even, it was just, you guys were in like formation in a room and they just cut it where they deemed necessary. Was yeah. it roughly half and half or it was roughly half and half, roughly half and half. That's interesting. Cause I know some guys say it's not that it depends obviously on numbers at the time. Some guys yeah. say they're like, yeah, it was, there was like 10 guys that got Charlie, everyone else. See, I could see now, like, you know, with the years that go by, like things changing and maybe they need less of one and more of another. So they do it that way. But, but yeah, when I went through, it was, uh, it was around, around 50, 50, roughly. That's crazy. And the recruiter, he didn't mention Charlie to you at all. He just no, said, of course oh, not. it's pretty much the same thing. It's just the X for his, for the contract reasons. Right. Oof, that's rough. Yeah. So, because if he would have told me that I was uh, not guaranteed Bravo, I might've went a different route. Well, yeah, absolutely. Cause when I was joining up, I had looked into the Marines and the reason I didn't join the Marines is because they don't really guarantee you a job 
through the right. track. It's kind of up in the air. And I was like, I'm not going to sign paperwork that doesn't really mean anything when, once it gets to you guys. Um, right. So I could definitely see guys, yeah, definitely not um, not signing for the 11X if it was going to go the other way. Right. It's crazy to me that he didn't tell you at all. So we talk about it all the time. I usually say that the recruiters don't usually lie to you. A lot of them are just ignorant. Um, mm-hmm. But that's or they'll or they'll twist the truth. Yeah, a little bit of. But that's sort of like a lie. I mean, that was straight up omission. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, was, that was that uh, was ah. You won't get that. You know. Oh man. Okay. So at 30th AG, when you guys got split and you went to be a mortarman. Um, it's crazy to me they don't look at scores at all, any of the GT scores at all. That's that's interesting. And so from 30th AG, once you got split, um, you guys just went to different OSITs, like different places on the base. So yeah, um, we all kind of all infantry kind of goes to the same ish place. Um, I was in in 119, and um, obviously everyone was Charlie's, but um, they uh, they only had two Charlie drill instructors at the time. So all my all my drills were 11 Bravos, and then uh, we had one 11 Charlie instructor, and then the second one came in later on towards the end when we do our two weeks like additional mortar training at the mortar square okay so when you went through your mortar training you just did essentially you know 11 bravo stuff 16 weeks of 11 bravo and then two weeks of mortarman training right yep you get a a rough understanding of mortars within those two weeks okay that actually explains a lot so i've always been told and i've seen it kind of firsthand that like mortar privates have a rough go of it when they first show up there. It's pretty well known in the army to be, be a rough go as a private. Like it is tough. That right. explains a lot. The fact that you guys only get two weeks of training for what is not a simple job. I mean, the sixties, no. eh, but like anything, you know, the 81s and the one twenties, like those are, those are not just things you can just grab and, no. you know, throw down and, and be right. good. With. You're, you're needing to work with, as a, like a gun <clears> team. Yeah. And then especially all the just the radio calls, the call. For, there's a lot. There's a lot. It's more to it because the right. the 13 Bravos get a ton of training um, and they don't even really have to do too much on the radio. The 13 Deltas are kind of the, the go between where the mortar is. It's just, you know, fister to mortar and you guys are doing the thing. That's that's really interesting to me. So two weeks extra, which that may be different now. Um, Man, that's crazy. And then from there, you graduate and you only had two instructors for two weeks and you went to where after that i went to uh so i actually put in um they they pretty much went down the list of pt scores um and the guys with the higher scores they were offering airborne contracts um so at the time i was on that list um and i i said yeah i mean hell yeah i want to go so yeah um so (laughs) you were able to volunteer at osit for airborne right did you have any, um, were there any RASP recruiters there for a ranger regiment? There was, there yeah. Was. Towards the end of, uh, OSIT, the, yeah, the ranger cadre came over uh, for RASP and, uh, showed us their cool video and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, the, yeah, I got to see that for the first time. The breaking Benjamin song that's in all of them. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you did have the, op- the opportunity to, to do airborne and, um, range regiment at, OSIT. So for you, I know you have volunteered for Airborne. Um, did you even know anything about Ranger Regiment when they, they showed up? So, yeah. Uh, ironically enough, I did. Um, before joining, um, I had told my recruiter, you know, I want to go, um, I want to be in 75th. 
Um, cause one of the guys at my uh, girlfriend at the time, her boxing gym, uh, was a Ranger regiment guy and he ran that gym. And I thought, you know, this guy was super cool. <laughs> so, uh, after him talking to me and then telling me about like uh, Ranger regiment, I looked it up and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, this is the route I want to go. Um, but at the time I couldn't get that option 40 contract. Um, so I was glad that, uh, during OSIT, they, they, uh, gave me the option to at least get airborne. And then from airborne, I was able to uh, volunteer for, uh, RASP. Okay. And then, uh, so you went from OSIT to airborne school, which you were in Benning already. So you just went down the road essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, cause now it's a little bit different now. So for the RASP guys, they actually go to RASP first cause the 75th got tired of paying for guys to go to airborne school. And then, and then they then failing. The RASP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so either failing or quitting cause some dudes quit day one. They're just like, oh, I just want an airborne. Right. So now it's RASP first, then everyone's school right after. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so you went to uh, Benning. And yeah. so we'll we'll do your airborne thing now. And then later we'll talk about your instructor <clears throat> and we'll f- see how it differs and, you know, kind of the more insight you have um, being on the, the inside afterwards. <clears throat> okay. So, so how was airborne school for you as a you know, private right out of OSIT? Um, it was great. Um, airborne school is the first time we got any type of freedom um after OSIT so I went into three weeks of airborne hold essentially um because they weren't ready for us in the class or whatever um and during that time I just kept going to the gym as much as I could um and just you know trying to be as fit as I could before um going to airborne school um and then yeah three weeks of airborne school like I said it was great because we had some freedom so we would um you know, go, go through, uh, the daily stuff at everyone's school. And then once we were done at, you know, like 17, 1800, five or six o'clock, um, we'd go, <clears throat> go hang out, drink, whatever. Um, and on the weekends we get the weekends off and, um, we'd go get a hotel and, and then drink and just hang out. So yeah, it was a good time. And it was, it was a pretty easy school. So yeah, that's true. The airborne school is, um, it's a lot of repetition and it's a lot of running. Uh, but that's it's not really so difficult um although right, obviously the runs aren't very quick but they're just a lot frequent of yeah frequent, you run everywhere all the time so yeah it definitely i know guys that got shin splints and stuff just because it's not you're not booking it but you're just running a lot <clears throat> yeah absolutely and then also smashing yourself into the ground from like swings and stuff so that's always right. fun too yeah. um and then because i tell them all the time like everyone's world is not really hard although i mean jumping out of the plane for the first time a lot of airborne school is pretty mental because um, the tower yeah. can be scary. Um, yeah. If you do the uh, the actual large 150 foot towers, that's terrifying because um, yeah. they just hook you in and drag you up 150 feet and drop you. Um, and then from airborne school, you went to where? <clears throat> uh, from airborne school, that's when I volunteered for RAS because uh, at the time I want to say that the uh, the the cadre that came over for rasp was i want to see his last name was like brock or something bear was it okay so i don't know i know him so yeah ginormous it's it's so funny we talked about him on the live last night i was like this guy's last name was bear and he was built like a bear the dude was like seven feet tall yeah he was massive it's so funny that you had the same one yeah and he had a jaw like a chin like you know chiseled yeah like like john cena or something (laughs) Um, okay. So you volunteered actually for RASP at, at airborne school. Right. Yeah. Uh, they had, um, I don't know. I think it was during tower week, our second week there. Um, 
they gave some time for the Ross cadre to come over and, and uh, you could volunteer. So I wrote him like a, he wanted like a five paragraph essay on why I feel that I should be able to go and try out or whatever. So, so I wrote that letter and he's like, all right, come on. So they took us after graduation. Okay. Um, and then from, they took you after graduation and how did you get to, so you obviously just down the street rasp is, um, how did you get there? Uh, we chased a bus. (laughs) It's funny. So, um, the guys ask us all the time. I didn't chase the bus. I got to ride the bus. Okay. So some guys say they run with their bags. Some guys load the bus with their bags and run behind it. Um, we were allowed to to ride the bus. It was, it's funny because everyone's all nervous because they all hear these stories. Everybody says different stuff. So it's just, everything is just so unexpected. And that's one of the things that makes RAS so difficult. We mentioned it all the time. Unexpected. They don't want to, they don't want you to have information because it makes it that much harder. Right. So that is interesting. And it's pretty far. It's not that close. I mean, it's not forever away, but it's not that close. Yeah. So we didn't run the whole way, but they, uh, they, they went through the whole, that was, this was my first taste of uh, Ranger timelines was, or time hacks um, was they, we had, I don't know how many guys we had with us, but it was probably 20 guys. Um, which isn't a huge amount, but when you have a ton of bags with you and you're carrying a bunch of TA 50, 20 guys, you know, each has four bags. That's a lot of bags. So, um, you know, they gave us a, you know, ridiculous time hack of like, I don't know if it was 45 seconds or something to get all the bags on the bus, you know, and everybody's trying to file through that one little area on the bus to get everything in. Um, so we probably did that, you know, seven or eight times because we failed the time, the time hack every single damn time. Um, and once we finally got it in, yeah, then they took off and we chased it for a little while and then, then they let us get on. I think we were allowed to ride the bus because we, um, it wasn't me. Someone was just like thought outside the box enough to, to use both doors. So we opened the emergency door on the bus. Okay. So we were able to get the bags in pretty quick because of that. And I don't even remember who did it, but someone just had like the bright, smart, very, very smart (laughs) idea of thinking outside the box to open that back door. And I almost think that won us the bus ride. They were like, all right, yeah. we'll let you guys ride the bus. That yeah. was all right. They were you, like, you we're get, kind of impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get forced into a situation like that where you're, you know, having to do push-ups because you're not meeting these time hacks and you get creative with how you're going to get these, you know, things accomplished. So, yeah, I think we uh, we we had dropped all the windows in the bus and we had dudes on the outside just tossing in bags on all sides trying to get those things in there to meet that time hack. So, uh, Did you have anyone quit at the bus? Uh, not at the bus, not at the bus, okay. but once we got into the compound, um, and they were smoking us for on the rocks. a very extended period of time. Uh, yeah, we were, we had guys dropping okay. pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. So that's what we did too, um, right off the bat. And it's kind of progressively goes through. And so, um, what, so why don't you explain your, your experience there? <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, once we got, once we, uh, chased the bus for a little bit and got back on, or got on, uh, they took us over, um, yeah, to the Ranger compound. We got inside, we unloaded everybody. We took all our stuff out, and uh, that's when we got um, buzz cut real quick, and then we got issued like that two quart, yeah, which uh, we carried freaking everywhere. <clears throat> and once we that's that's when it started. So once we got that two quart, we got some water filled up. Um, yeah, that's when the fun began. Yeah. So. Um, yeah we they had us you know running back and forth from one building to the other doing sprints 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 
drink water, sprints, 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 sprints. Um, and then they just came out saying, Hey, um, we're just, we're going to keep doing this until somebody quits. So. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny though. Cause, um, I don't even, that's one thing about reg or rasp that it was weird. So, um, when dudes quit, like I never thought they were bad people. Um, I was never like, Oh, what a terrible person. They're the worst because when someone quit, I was like, they just had decided at that point, they were like, man, either I can't do this. I don't think I'm good enough to do this, or I don't think I should be here. I'm not right in the right state mentally to, to do this right now. Right. So, yeah, right so when dudes decided they were like, cause some of the guys, you know, you volunteer along the way, you don't really know what you're getting into. I barely know what I was getting into. And you're just kind of like, okay, you know, okay, yeah, you, you're not ready for this, you know, but you're going to go to an airborne unit, you're going to be a good soldier. You just, this was not what you wanted or not what you wanted right now. <clears throat> right. So that was one spot that I just never, um, I never ever looked down on people that, that had quit um, initially or people who had gotten dropped or anything because okay, there's a billion and one reasons why someone isn't going to do that thing. And it's not an easy, easy path to walk at all. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Cause I ended up meeting guys that, that, either dropped out, uh, quit, failed, whatever, what have you guys that got med dropped, um, in brag in the 173rd and stuff. And they're great soldiers. Like they were still right, a lot yeah. better than a lot of the other ones that I had met. Um, right. so it was just, it's interesting to see, um, like just that thought process that I had, um, even that first day when they dropped, although I was like, all right, you kind of made it here. If I could have not had to do all this right now you right that was yeah and you'll see guys that'll that'll drop for whatever reason um i mean i know a guy uh that uh he's back in regiment now but uh when he went through he recycled like like was non-select um and he did it i want to say three times uh that i knew of and um and then he ended up going to the 82nd ended up seeing him there um and now, now he's in regiment. He ended up going to Ranger School at whatever unit he was at after the 82nd, I think. Um, and then he ended up going through RASP or RASP, RASP 1 or RASP 2. Um, and now he's back in because I remember seeing a post uh, that Benny just posted. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, placed in one of the top whatever teams uh, for best Ranger or whatever. So you know, going back, but yeah. Yeah. That's dedication. Um, yeah. Because like some guys hit that setback uh, and they're like, okay, I, that's it. You know, I did, I gave it the good old college try and I'm calling it, right. you know, it's like time of death. So for yeah. me, cause I was med recycled. Um, yeah. I got pneumonia really bad and I was in phase two of RASP one. Like I was two and a half weeks from graduation. Oh. And, yeah. And once you get into yeah. RASP two, it's like, okay, now you get through RASP one. It's, it's like, okay. Like they're, they, they selected you and you're like, RASP two feels more like. You're training uh, and learning and stuff. Right. Like that. They're like, ah, okay, you're, we, we want you now we're going to train you and show you. So. And so I had to do it twice and I had to wait for the summer break. And I know a couple guys who quit cause they were like, I just, I want to be done training. Like I just want to go to a unit and have my life. Um, right. so I, you yeah. know, it was, it's tough to, it's tough to, that dedication is impressive to, to go back and try three times and then go back later on and, and get there and then be, you know, good at it. So good at it. Once you get there, right. um, that's impressive. That's a, a good mindset to have. <clears throat> yeah. And I think a lot of the younger guys underestimate, um, I know I did. Cause I mean, I came in a little bit older than the guys that I was around. I mean, it was probably, I was 21, but a lot of guys I went through were, you know, 18, 19. Um, and you know, you're, you're going through OS if you're, you know, infantry 11 Bravo and Charlie or well, 11 X, but eventually, yeah. Um, you know, after you, yeah. So 
you're going through OSIT, you, you know, you've seen your family by the end of it twice, you know, maybe um, you get a 48 hour pass. So if your family lives close, um, which a lot of guys, their family didn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you get that graduation. Um, you see your family then, and then, uh, and that's it. And then you're going, you know, straight to airborne school after that, you're gone another three weeks, you know, then you get put in pre-rasp and whenever they're ready to take you into the actual RASP class, you know, I was in pre-rasp for two weeks. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking OSIT, you know, however long, because I think it's, it's a little different now. I think their basic training is a little bit longer. It's now. a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a fair bit longer now, actually. Yeah. I think it's like 21 or 22 weeks or yeah. something, but, uh, I mean, you're going through that. Then I had three weeks of everyone hold three weeks, of everyone school, two weeks of pre-rasp, you know, physically just getting you ready for the class. And then you go into RASP, which is, you know, so you're gone, you know, without seeing anybody for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's jarring. Um, that's why I talked about it one time, like find some good dudes to keep around you, especially ones that are going all the way there with you. Cause like, it'll help you out tremendously. Yeah, Cause I went stay, to stay around the motivated guys. Yeah. I mean, I was in Oklahoma and then Georgia. And so like, I'm from New York. Like it's hard for people to get there to see me even on those 48 hour passes and stuff. So it's definitely tough. <clears throat> um, so what happened with you at RASP? <clears throat> So in RASP, um, got through all the physical events. I did very well. Um, cause I mean, I was, I was light, you know, then I was probably like 160 pounds. We were running all the time. And then, um, in everyone's school, like, you know, the PT wasn't, wasn't good enough that we were doing there. Yeah. Um, so I was going to the gym, um, and I was just trying to train for that, like, for at the time, what I thought that would be the best, I mean, cause that was before CrossFit was, you know, a thing, but, uh, I thought about triathlons and, you know, like you're running, swimming, rucking, like, you know, well, triathlons aren't rucking, but I was incorporating all these different types of like cardio and stuff that what I thought would help me, um, for, for, uh, for RASP. Um, and then, so yeah, going through RASP, I mean, I did, I pretty much crushed the physical, um, I mean, RPFT, I was, you know, like 80 pushups, 80 sit-ups, like I was on a very high end and pull-ups were not hard for me either. Um, and the running, I wasn't the fastest guy, but I was at, you know, five miler and like 37, 38. Um, but it was the, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, it was the land nav. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's tough. Um, especially because we talk about this all the time. Like you don't get a lot of practice before then. Um, so we actually are working right now on putting together a land nav kind of, uh, conglomerate of information for land nav to help some of these guys going in. Cause yeah. I mean, you did land nav what once in basic and then. Yeah. And when we did it in basic, we had a four man team. So we had, you know, one guy that held the compass. You had one guy that worked the map. You had one guy that did pace count. So you didn't get to incorporate all these things together and really get thrown out there by yourself. and like, Hey, you got three hours, man, go find those four or five points. So it was, it was a shell shock. Yeah. Well, and then they also, you're, there's so many people in OSIT and basic and then, you know, so you're not really getting a lot of um, really good one to, you know, one to instruction or even like one to 10. I mean, there's right. a couple of instructors teaching like 400 people how to do right. this land app. So you're, don't really know what to do. You're kind of sometimes afraid to ask questions. Like it is, it's tough. Like basic training land nav for me was not good. Um, yeah. Luckily for me as a 13 Fox, we do land nav in AIT and yeah. do a lot of <laughs> map reading and stuff in AIT. So as a 13 Fox, I was pretty well prepared for, for land nav because of AIT. It helped me out tremendously. I would have been in a much worse position had I not 
if I was, I think, 11 Bravo, getting really to do land nav for the first time as a critical event in right. RASP. Um, so, yeah, no, t- dudes have trouble with it all the time. And it's just, it's such a difficult skill. And then some people are, I tell people all the time, some people are just naturally better at it than others, I think. Yeah. So some people have to train a lot harder to be as effective at land navigation. <clears throat> yeah. And if you're not confident in something, if you didn't get enough repetitions with something, you know, it messes with your confidence. You start to second guess yourself. So like that was another thing that, that, that added to, uh, you know, land nav was like, I had that anxiety of like, you know, when we're out there, I'm like, man, I'm not super confident with this after not doing very much of it. Um, and now I got to, now I got, you know, three hours or whatever to run around this place and try to find four or five points. And if this is the thing that holds me back, like, you know, after doing all those other events, you know, you go through the swim and the PT every day, which is ruthless um, and all that stuff. You're like, man, you, it's, it's better not be from land nav. <laughs> and then you're at cold range doing land nav, but you're also getting just destroyed in between iterations too. So and you're, you're carrying a ruck around mm-hmm. for land nav and yeah. you're tired and you are hungry and it is, it's rough. Uh, cold range is definitely, um, it's a, it's, it's a breaker for sure. I mean, um, yeah. it's tough. It's a, it, you have a lot going on and you have critical events in the midst of it. It's, it's tough. And we, um, cause we did the 12 mile ruck out to cold range. Um, so it's it's rough it's definitely rough um yeah. and that 12 miler is rough a rough one you know because coming from basic or or osit whatever you know you do that 12 miler but it's not in three hours no you know i feel like we had a lot longer and it was way more slow and you know that 12 miler out to cold range and you know obviously before before joining the army nobody's bodies are that are used to you know taking that that pounding of just like you know you're running all the time and you know through you know basic osit whatever airborne school now you're in rasp and you're still doing it and then they're rocking you know carrying a rock for that long your body's not used to that so it's definitely like the joints feel it and and everything so yeah that's one of the things we we definitely focus on uh in our programs is trying to keep these guys get these guys ready for that impact because that'll get you right. i mean you see dudes getting shin splints like they're great shape because they swam in high school but they don't run yeah. they don't ruck so like all of that impact is just crushing their bones and their joints right. and so that's one of the things that we try to do in our programs we were talking about earlier functional fitness just get right. some of those guys ready because yeah i mean you hurt <laughs> you start hurting um especially you're 18 you did some sports in high school you can run a quick two mile but like the repetition of that impact gets gets rough <clears throat> yeah like over time and over time it's, yeah um okay so then from uh rasp and uh leaving there because of land nav you ended up going to 82nd yeah so uh I got delayed for a little bit of time going to the 82nd. So basically they wanted me to, at the end of uh, phase one of RAS, they, after Cole range, they, uh, you know, bring you in and say like, why, you know, you weren't selected or whatever. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was a land nav. Da, da, da. And then they're like, Hey, you know, we want you to recycle, you know? And at that time I was just like, man, I put everything into that, this, this go, you know, that was everything. Um, and it was like towards the end, my body didn't hold up. So that ruck out to cold range, I ended up like fracturing part of my heel. Um, knew I couldn't see the medics because they would drop me if they looked at it. Um, so I powered through cold range, just kind of like limping on it as I'm getting smoked and running around, um, which my team hated because they're like, oh, this guy's, you know, slowing becoming the down. weak link. Yep. Yeah, he's slowing us down. <laughs> like, man, dude, I got, I know I got a messed up heel, like, you know, um, and I'm sorry, but I can't go see the medics are going to drop me. So I just, you know, keep powering through it. Um, and so, yeah, I did not want to recycle. So then I went on to, uh, the 82nd, 
um, after like a couple of weeks of being like three weeks being in crutches or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Went over the 82nd, uh, from there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I had a similar thing when I got, I didn't want to go for pneumonia. I was like so, so sick and I didn't want to get recycled. And one morning I like fell out of a run that we were doing. Cause I was just, I was very ill and, um, they like walked me to the medics there. You need to go see the medics. And, um, I got, I ended up getting recycled and I, I had to wait for the summer break cause they break for a couple of months cause it's so hot. Um, and I definitely feel that like it's tough, um, when you just put everything into it and you have to go back. Luckily, you know, I get better from being sick. Like I had a buddy who got med recycled with me. He broke his, uh, shin and like, they don't keep you around to rehab you. So like you're gone. If you get medical treatment for that stuff, mm-hmm. you can come back later, but they're not going to keep you around just to be around. Um, right. So they there's only, track yeah, you, all that. yeah, it's only so much you can do. Um, so you went to the 82nd and you were there for how long? Uh, three and a half years, three and a half years. And then from there you went to the 173rd, right? Where, which is where we met in, uh, in beautiful, sunny Latvia. Um, <laughs> So we had that, uh, I call it a deployment. It was, but it's actually, it's funny thinking about the world today, that deployment is actually a little bit scarier in hindsight than it was right. when we were there right? because right. we were just a couple of years removed from Russia literally invading Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. So it's in hindsight, I think it was probably a very important deployment. Um, not that I thought it was unimportant, but I didn't think it was as much of a thing as it was um, right. then. And then you went to the tenth mountain up in yes. Fordrum. Yeah, I definitely wanted to take a break from air one, so went, went over to the tenth mountain. Yeah, jumping can uh, takes a takes a bit of a toll. Um, yeah. And so you started. Uh, you said you were interested in bodybuilding when you were kind of younger, like nineteen years old, and you started getting into it. Was it in tenth mountain? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It was a 10th mountain. Cause that's when I first got the opportunity to, uh, work with a coach, um, and, and really put like some, some, uh, time towards it and some more like strict effort, I guess, towards it. So yeah, 10th mountain was the first time. Yeah. Because in 173rd, um, you were obviously we're all in relatively good shape in the 173rd for the most part, um, you know, doing PT and stuff like that, but you were never like a person who was like driven by fitness. How some guys are just like, they get off, they go to the gym and then they go to sleep. Like I get off, I play video games and then go to sleep. You know what I mean? You were never right. like a driven by the gym that you weren't someone that was like driven always, always to be working out. Um, which if someone saw a picture of you now, they would be like, mm, that's probably not true. Cause <laughs> you, <laughs> you're uh, huge. So, um, you were interested in, so what exactly happened for you that you decided when you got there that that was going to be something you were going to start doing like seriously? Yeah. So I was always like the, uh, the all or nothing type. So, um, when I was 19 and I was working out, I was all into it, just didn't have enough knowledge, but I was able to get big. Um, and then when I went to the 82nd, that's when I realized, you know, running all the time, I'm not going to be able to keep this up. Um, so the first company I was in, um, we did a lot. We just ran like every other day. So I dropped down to like, you know, like 165. Um, and then when I went to my next company, um, cause actually the first year I was a Bravo, um, they had me in a Delta company, Delta companies, you know, like you have trucks and yeah, know, the mounted. like two, yeah. Mounted, you know, you got two forties and all that. So there is no 11 Charlies over there. So, uh, they changed my MOS on my ERB and everything. And, um, uh, I ended up filling out some paperwork 
uh, one day they asked me to fill out and I, you know, they asked for primary MOS. I put 11 Charlie, you know, and they're like, you know, Finn, you idiot. Why'd you put this? And I'm like, cause I'm 11 Charlie, man. Like I went to be, I went to OSIT for this. That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had no clue. So yeah, three months later I was over at, you know, HEC uh, working with mortars and I had already been, you know, a Bravo for a year learning all that. So I'd forgotten all the Charlie stuff. Um, but anyways, once I got to that HHC, they were big into lifting. So it was like, boom, I can be all into this again. So yeah. So that second company, I was in the 82nd, uh, went from 160 back up to 210, 215. Um, in the time that I was there, you know, not overnight, obviously, but yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm back into it. So it was like, you know, there was that. And then, uh, once I went to the 173rd, um, for, for whatever reason I took a, oh yeah. When I was in the 82nd, I had taken a break from it, um, from, from lifting and going all the time. And I just kind of got stuck in that, that mode of just like, ah, okay, I'm just going to be home playing video games or whatever, or whatever. And then, you know, once 73rd, there was such so many opportunities to travel. So. Yeah. When we also weren't getting destroyed by work. Cause the, the, right. the work schedule, work life balance there was a little bit rough for sure. Yeah. Um, that- that op tempo was crazy. Well, we also could, you can't train in Italy. So we were always in Germany or Latvia or Poland right. or Czech. So we were always just gone all the time. So even if you had been keeping up a good regimen, it would be so hard. Cause yeah, I mean, the absolutely. gym in Latvia was borderline non-existent. Um, yeah. So yeah, even if you had, I've been really consistently, I think you would have lost a lot of your gains there either way. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that was the one big thing too, was when in the 82nd, I had given up like that last year I was there was because, um, you know, you're going to GRTC rotations every year and I would, you know, go there and lose 20 pounds, you know, and then I'm coming back trying to rebuild what I had previously built. Uh, and it's frustrating, you know, cause you do all that work and then you lose it. And it's like, this is pointless. I might as well stay, you know, my natural body weight until I get out, you know, but once I went to the 10th mountain, my last year that I was there, um, I was able to, to, uh, to, to like really put time towards it, um, and work out. And that's when I got a coach. Um, and once I got a coach, everything changed. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. So, um, and you had like a a bodybuilding coach to help you, um, really. And so, uh, when you had the coach, what exactly did he like, um, was he helping you lifts nutrition, just a whole, the whole thing he was, yeah. So, um, I had a pretty good understanding of how to train. Um, maybe not of like a regimented program that I followed, but I knew like how to do certain exercise exercises to build certain muscle groups, but I would, there was no like real progressive overload. I wouldn't track my, I wouldn't, I didn't have a logbook or anything to track like, um, my progress. And if I was getting stronger on lifts or whatever, I just kind of went in there, you know, I did the, uh, the exercise that I want to do for that day for that you know, muscle group. And I would just push it as hard as I could. Um, you know, and you you can, you can get a reasonable amount of growth through that. But, uh, once I had a coach, um, you know, he does my, um, you know, diet, nutrition, um, supplementation, um, and training. And then that updates, um, you know, based on my progress picks that I send in twice a week. Um, but that's when it, that's when it changed because, once I had something more regimented um, that I was following all the time, you know, I was keeping a logbook of all my lifts to make sure I was progressing in all of them. Um, and then the nutrition part, that was, that was probably the biggest thing. 
Yeah, that's what we preach here is like you're when you're talking about fitness, like it's almost like it's eight, about 80 percent nutrition, 20 percent fitness. Um, like you can go work out at the gym every single day for a year and you can change your diet and you're going to see changes in three months. Like it's right. huge. Um, it's, yeah, it's very underrated. People mm-hmm. really underestimate uh, and underrate food. Yeah, absolutely. We are we're huge on that. Um, so you and you deployed with with Tenth Mountain. So did you yeah. uh, pick up the bodybuilding stuff before a deployment? Yeah, it was it was before, and then it really started um, on deployment, and then once I got back from deployment. That's what I was curious because I got shred. I was shredded after deployment um, because yeah. you have nothing else to do besides work and the gym. Um, so I went from like 170 to 195 and I was probably like 9%, 8% body fat. Mm. Um, so I came back way bigger, way more fit than when I left. So I was just curious if you had started beforehand, um, or if, if that really helped you ramp into it. Yeah, that really helps ramp into it. Cause you know, if you're not going on missions, then you come back and you have nothing else to do besides go work out or go to the range or something. So, yeah. Um, and so you came back from deployment, you have a coach and they do, um, he helps you with all of your nutrition plans. Um, do you, when did you start getting into competitions? Uh, so I, I pretty much told Cody cause I work with Cody Montgomery. Um, I had told him I wanted to, I wanted a year, um, of working with him. Um, cause I knew my physique had a long way to go before I could step on stage and I didn't want to just jump into it and be like, yeah, I just, I'm just doing it. I would, I wanted to, um, I wanted to like go into it and be able to stand next to the guys. Um, so I worked with him for, for a year before, um, you know, talking about, Hey, um, he knew at the beginning, that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, towards the end of that first year, that's when I was really like, Hey, let's start, let's start finding something. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And so, um, why don't you go through just a little bit of, um, of your nutrition? I'm, cause I'm interested to know about your nutrition during your, essentially like your building phase, uh, your bulking phase, and then okay. uh, a little bit about your nutrition ramping into the competitions. Um, okay. when you gotta, when you gotta get that cut down, um, yeah. cause like you're, you're huge and probably all the time you're a big dude, but like, you're not shredded, shredded, like you're right. not shredded when you're like competition level, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really yeah, interested to hear about that. that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, um, I just got done with the show like three or four weeks ago. So I'm pretty much right now. I'm just, uh, I'd like to say, which like, I believe some you, time off. did you win? Yeah. So I, won, I, uh, won an overall in, um, in both like the, uh, true novice novice for classic physique. Awesome. Um, yeah. Congratulations. Um, so are there, I I'm not very familiar with bodybuilding. So you won that. Are there like secondary, um, other ribbons or medals or anything that are for specific, um, events or is it just so, overall? So they have, um, so most of the shows that I've seen, like at the pro level, you get, um, you know, they'll do trophies, but they all do also do cash prizes. But, um, at the amateur level, it's mostly just, um, you know, trophies or whatever that, that certain current competition is giving out. Like, so for mine, it was, uh, they had letterman jackets, you know, showing that you like had won, you know, classic physique or whatever, you know, category you're in competing for. And then they gave you this, you know, big ass, like, you know, kind of like a Conan, the barbarian sword. Yeah. I saw that. That was, or, sweet. uh, yeah. So, so that was what I got from, from that. But that's, yeah. that's pretty sweet. <clears throat> yeah. That's, those are, those are fun, uh, fun prizes. 
yeah. Um, so, so when you're building, um, just why don't you ballpark for me, um, calorie intake for building? Um, towards the upper end of the offseason, probably around 4,000 calories a day. 4,000 calories a day. Um, and obviously, you have a coach, so he's doing most of your, um, probably doing most of that macro, micro work for you. Yeah. Um, does he, how much does he focus macros versus micronutrients? So is he really just focused on carbs, fat, and uh, protein? Or is yeah. he really getting to the weeds on the macronutrients or micronutrients on his end? Do you know? So, so big, big macro um, focus, um, less, uh, you know, micronutrient focus. Okay. Um, we put a lot of that stuff in um, really to help with digestion um, and stuff like that um, to make sure I'm getting enough fiber and this and that. Cause Obviously, if your gut health is huge, so if you're not digesting everything properly, you're not getting the most out of all the food that you're intaking. Exactly. Um, so that just kind of goes into everything, your training and everything. If you're walking around and you can't, di- you're not digesting food well enough, then you're not, you're holding yourself back. So, yeah. Or, you know, not even ingesting some of those calories and just wasting it. So it's really yeah, going right. to affect your bottom line. Um, so. So 4,000 calories a day is, is a lot. So right now, for example, um, I do 2,300 and yeah. I can't imagine almost doubling my, my intake of food. Um, and are, when you're doing this, are you eating, how clean are you eating for those 4,000 calories? Uh, so it's, it's very clean. Very clean. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, like I said, so right now, um, I'm, I'm in the off, like just taking a break. So I'm kind of eating, you know, three to four, uh, you know, clean meals a day. And then I'm like, I have a, my fifth meal is kind of just whatever I want just to kind of take a break from the whole dieting thing, you know, cause I was dieting for 13 weeks. So I'm trying to get, give myself that, that mental break um, and just get everything out of my system. Um, and then we'll start reverse dieting and slowly implementing calories. Uh, so we're not jumping straight back into 4,000 calories a day. Yeah. You'll be bloated. <laughs> Gross. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine we'll ramp it up. But yeah, like, uh, yeah, meals are clean. I would have, um, uh, two cheat meals a week. So usually on like a Wednesday, depending on how my pictures were looking, uh, or physique was looking, um, and you know, relative with like the, uh, the scale, um, then, uh, yeah, I'd have one like a one on a Wednesday and one on like a Saturday and it would be usually, uh, my last meal of the night or my fifth meal of the night. And it would be like a burger and fries from like five guys or something. Oh, it sounds so good. Um, so, so were there some weeks where you sent your pictures and your, your scale weight and stuff like that, where your coach Cody Montgomery was like, you don't get two cheat meals this week. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I would send mine in and I'd be like, my girlfriend, like, Hey, are we going out this Saturday? And I'm just like reading the message. I'm like, Nope. Yeah. So yeah. Cody says no. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cody's not giving me anything this week. Um, that's, yeah, that's hilarious. At least honestly, that's probably helpful that someone's there to keep you honest though. Um, yeah. Cause it's tough. Dieting is tough. Um, it's not as bad for me cause I'm just not really like a food motivated person. Yeah. Um, for the most part. So like, I just eat, like I woke up this morning, I eat four egg whites, spinach and a bagel with low fat cream cheese on it. Um, I eat a, like a burrito for lunch that I meal, I just eat the same thing pretty much every day for my life. I, it's just fine. Right. I keep my macros right. I just do that every day mm-hmm. and have no issues. Um, but I couldn't imagine trying to stock up for 4,000 calories of like really, really clean food. Cause we are really against dirty bulking. Um, but like 4,000 calories of clean food, uh, throughout a day is, that's a lot of food. It is. It's really rough. Um, 
I feel like dieting and um, for a show is rough, you know, in, in one aspect, like because you're starving and tired and you're pushing through these workouts and low calories and like dieting in itself is hard. But eating a lot of food is also hard. Like I remember my first year with Cody and we weren't at 4,000 calories. Obviously we worked up to that over the last couple of years, but I don't know what, I don't know what caloric intake he had me on because my diet plan isn't like a breakdown of like, Hey, Travis, eat, you know, I want you to eat 200 grams of protein and, you know, 50 grams of carbs or, and, uh, you know, 30 grams of fat in a day. It's like, you know, meal by meal. This is what I want you to eat meal one through six. Oh, okay. So, just, so does he give you those uh, for the week? So you go shopping like uh, at the beginning of the week when he sends it to you, you get all that stuff. And then that's just what you eat for the week. Yeah. So he'll send, uh, I'll do check-ins twice a week and, um, he'll send me over a meal plan, you know, for like three days until the next check-in or whatever. Um, sometimes he doesn't change anything, but, um, and then sometimes he does, it just depends on what our weight's at and what the, uh, what the, you know, the, the physique's looking like. Okay. Um, so yeah, you're doing for that. So, um, how does he handle, how do you handle uh, supplementation? Cause we get questions all the time about supplements and we are pretty, um, not against supplements, but we tell people that really you should be getting most of the things you need from proper nutrition. Um, yeah. the only thing we really, really preach is just blockchain amino acids, really BCAAs for recovery are, are huge. Um, and then some clean ish pre-workout, but ideally yeah. we try to steer people away from, uh, from protein powders and stuff like that. Cause you can get all that through nutrition, obviously right. bodybuilding's a different beast. So you're going 4,000 calories, you know, hundreds of, of grams of protein. Um, so how do you handle supplementation? Um, so yeah, I, I really stick to like a, I would say like, as far as, uh, intro workout or stuff like, like anything related to the workout, you know, core of like, I, I guess like around four uh, supplements. So um, I don't do BCAs, but I do EAs. Okay. Um, so yeah, essential amino acids. And then um, I have an intro workout, which is a set like just carbs um, just to get me through. Um, and then other than that, I just, I go with a pre-workout sometimes if I feel like I need it, like a stem, um, you know, and then other times I, I'll just go, you know, go to the gym without it, or, you know, I'll just have a cup of black coffee or something. Um, and then, yeah, I, I do take protein, uh, as part of my plan, like, uh, in, in meal two and meal, uh, six. Um, so I do have that twice a day. How many grams of protein are in your protein shake? Uh, so I do a scoop and a half and a scoop's 25. Okay. So, so you're th- sitting at like 37. That's not, yeah. Too yeah. Um, that's not too bad. Cause I, um, so, uh, my partner, she's vegetarian. So we do vegetarian dinners. So I get all of my protein in essentially through all my other meals so yeah. i have a protein shake with dinner but i couldn't imagine drinking like i'm pretty full like protein shakes kind of fill you yeah. up a little bit so eating yeah. that and then um eating dinner i just get two times a day you do a scoop and a half two times a day no so the one at night uh for the last meal is just one scoop okay <clears throat> okay so you're just and you're taking about five meals so you're just consistently pretty much feeding your body over the course of the day yeah i try to eat like every roughly like every three hours um and then sometimes depending on if, uh, if it's a weekend and I, and I end up waking up late for the morning, then I got to kind of squeeze it in more before I go to bed. But yeah, I make sure I get those six meals in, um, and just stay up if I have to, to get, you know, them down. But. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of cutting cause COVID got me a little out of shape and I had just recently bumped up to 
I went from, from, I was doing 1500, um, really doing a, a pretty heavy cut phase. Then I did 2000, then 2300. And I found that I was like running out of time to get 2300 calories into, in a day. So yeah. I cannot imagine, uh, 4,000 yeah. must be, it, you have to be pretty regimented about when you're eating and, and what you're yeah. eating each time. So. Yeah. And with, and with my work schedule, sometimes it's difficult. Um, so I'll, yeah, there's times where I'll set an alarm, you know, for two in the morning so I can get a meal down or whatever. So I'll wake up and go eat and go back to bed. Oh, but, geez. Um, yeah. Like with jump week during everyone's school, it's kind of rough, but, uh, but yeah, I make sure I get in. But yeah, that first year was, was really difficult to eat a lot because, uh, like I said, you don't jump straight into 4,000 calories, you build up, but I don't know, you know, even what we were at, you know, although it was a lot lower than 4,000 calories to me, it felt like a lot at that time. Um, there was a lot of times, you know, that first year that I was like, you know, sitting at, standing up at the counter, like hunched over, like, oh man, I don't know if I can finish this. And then like that meal, you know, it took me an hour to get down. So, but eventually, you know, your body, your metabolism is like, Hey, we're getting food, you know, every three hours I can burn through this. I don't have to hold on to it, store it. So then your metabolism ramps up and that's when it's like, okay, it sounds like I'm eating a lot, but I'm leaning out. So, yeah. Yeah. And then when you start going down for cutting, you're like, man, I'm so hungry. I wish I was still at 4,000 calories. <clears throat> yeah. And the, with the protein powders, we always take that out pre-contest. So, or like, yeah, when I'm going to prep. So um, um, that should, that goes to six, like, whole food meals. Okay. So um, that is your, your bulking, your building phase. Yeah. And so about at what time you said, is it like uh, three months before competition? You start cutting how yeah. close to it about three months. Yeah. It's dependent really on the, on the body fat at the time. Um, so my last one, I should have realistically started my prep at 16 weeks out. Um, Cause I went through an injury. I was supposed to get, I was supposed to do a show in October last year. Um, ended up breaking a, a bone in my hand. Um, so I couldn't lift for like three months. Um, so I lost like 15 pounds. I never got to get back before starting a prep. Um, in around like, uh, I want to say January, um, for the show that was in April. Okay. So we did 13 weeks. Um, and so how does that, how do you ramp down for those competitions? Um, so we all start implementing a little bit more cardio, very, just very small changes. Um, so I might do instead of four days a week of cardio, I might be doing five days a week of cardio at like 20 minutes. Um, and then as, as that goes on, you know, um, the 20 minutes, five days a week might, you know, turn into like, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, or we'll cut some carbs, just a little, a little bit of carbs, like on two meals or something. They're really small changes. Um, and the, and the body reacts pretty well, especially if once you're at such a like high calorie intake and then you're slowly dropping, like the body's like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not getting all that food. So you, you, you drop weight pretty quick, especially if you're, you're consistent with your diet and you're eating clean. Um, yeah. So you just make small incremental changes over the course of, um, you know, three, four months, depending on you right. know, where you're yeah, at before the competition. Yeah. To, to attempt to hold on to as much muscle tissue as possible because drastic drops, you know, you're going to be losing both muscle tissue and fat. So, um, we don't want to use, lose any muscle tissue, just, just fat. So just small incremental changes. Yeah. Um, and so just, uh, so 4,000 at your high end for bulking, uh, at that, where you are right now, uh, what is the, uh, why don't you give me the low end, uh, for like, for like days before competition, like what, where are you at? <clears throat> um, so I want to say the last, like my peak week, 
um, a couple days before the show, I was probably at like in the realm of like 1600 calories. Okay. <clears throat> so that's not, um, I mean, obviously you're a big dude and you're, you're way more and you're huge, but, um, you don't ever, I guess you don't really get to 1600 is not uh, so unhealthy. Obviously for you, a big dude, you need more calories, but 1600 is not, you know, you're not eating nothing at least. Probably feels yeah, like nothing I mean, at the time. But. <laughs> it feels like it felt like nothing to me. I was like 1600 calories. I'm about to blow away. I just, cause I wrestled in high school and I remember when I was cutting weight, I was not eating any calories to, to get into my weight. And that's just not very good for you and can cause you to rebound in bad ways. So I was, I was yeah. curious to see. So like as much as 1600 probably felt like nothing for you, you're at least putting some, something into your body, um, right. which is yeah. good. Yeah. And it's interesting because the body's a weird thing. Um, but it's like your, uh, your mind's telling you, you know, you're not eating anything, you're starving, but it's like, I'm eating six meals a day. Yeah. You know, I have 1600 calories. Like I'm getting food in, like I'm fine, but your mind is like, Whoa, bro. Like you are not used to this. You are eating way more than this. What is going on? So it's really a mental thing for, for the prep. Once you get lower, it's, it's like all mental. Yeah. So how do you, uh, how do you deal with that? Like what's a piece of advice you'd give to someone who's maybe trying to cut down some weight for something, maybe not as drastically as that, but how do you keep your mind off of being hungry? Is there like something you do or focus on or. Yeah. So, um, I try to keep as busy as, as busy as I can. <laughs> so work helps a lot with that. Cause I'm pretty busy, pretty late. And then I come home, um, you know, I'll, I'll eat a meal at home and then I'll go train, you know, like an hour, an hour later, or sometimes I'll eat my last or uh, my pre-workout meal at work, and then I'll go straight to the gym. Um, but it doesn't leave me as much time. So after, you know, after training, you know, I'm there for, you know, training for an you know, hour to an hour 30. And then I got, depending on how much cardio I'm doing um, towards the end of prep, I was doing like 45 minutes to an hour each day, like five, five or six days a week. So there's not a lot of time after that, you know, um, if you're off at like five or five 30, 30 minute drive home and you got the gym, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So yeah, keeping busy helps a lot. Uh, drinking water helps a lot. Um, uh, a lot of times I notice that, you know, you think you're hungry, um, but you're actually just thirsty. Um, so and also maybe a little hungry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, a little things like there's little tricks, you know, like ice, eating ice or um, like sugar-free jello because it's very, very low cal, but it's got some volume. Um, a salad, you know, like, you know, expands although, in your a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Although towards the end of prep and like the last, like peak week, the last like, you know, three or four days, you're really watching your water intake and you're cutting your water. So you can't do all the lettuce and stuff if you're yeah. hungry. Gotta get all you bloated. Just suck it up. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, when you're that close, yeah, you don't, you don't want the salad, you know, cause, uh, it's got water, but, uh, you realize that you're not that, um, far away from the show. So you can suck it up for four days. What about gum? Do you use gum? Gum's a good one. I use I gum, chew gum all the time. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and pickles, pickles was one thing that helped me a lot too. Oh, that's good. And, yeah. And if you're it, like my coach allowed me black coffee, um, sometimes so that was nice because that definitely helped with and then also brushing your teeth for some odd reason 
brushing your teeth helps with like you know not being as hungry so yeah i actually I, that's a, it's funny that you said that i actually read an article about that the other day so if you brush after each meal it makes you less hungry like right afterwards because it just like clears out all that food and that taste and that scent and stuff yeah. uh, apparently just make yeah it really helps you control your appetite it really helps to suppress um su- suppress appetite if you're obviously um you know dieting or cutting or whatever obviously don't just do it so you never eat but yeah <clears throat> um that's so interesting so i am impressed uh really really impressed that you're able to do this while still being in the military that's crazy impressive and that's all dudes that watch this are going to be uh really happy to hear that because they always ask about training uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and bodybuilding and stuff like that um i usually tell them Training is probably easier than uh, getting to competitions can be a little bit tough with, you know, training and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so you are a instructor right now at Airborne School. Right. Yeah. A black hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that. So why don't you walk us through just like a day for you doing Airborne School? Because you pretty much have classes all the time, right? Yeah. So we have a. Through a class, we'll have like your your ground tower jump weeks. So we got those three weeks. And then that fourth week of that month, we'll have like an admin week, essentially, which we call our support week. Um, and for that support week, that's our time as, as instructors to like schedule any appointments that we need or, you know, get some downtime. Um, so we'll pretty much go in PT, you know, get a workout in. Um, and if there's nothing going on, if, if none of the other companies are in jump week or don't need any, uh, jump master support, then, uh, then we'll just go home. So yeah, that's nice. But as far as the weeks go, uh, you have the set schedule for obviously because it's school. So <clears throat> it never changes in that aspect, but just running through a normal day. Um, I'm there at five 30, you know, we're taking accountability of all the students, um, per purple tune, we'll have four platoons. Um, and if cadre, like instructors per platoon, like I was in first platoon, um, so we had, you know, between like five and seven instructors per platoon per, per like a hundred, 105 students. Okay. That's actually pretty good students. numbers. Honestly, that's not too bad. Yeah. So we'll have enough for, you know, every stick plus like you can double up on some, um, or yeah. So, um, but yeah, so after accountability, you know, at six, we'll start like, you know, PRT, um, with the students, you know, just like warming up and all that. Uh, before we do a workout um and then uh if it's not a run day you know how the workouts are over there <laughs> so yeah we'll run uh the students over to the pit you know which is like where all the rocks are um if we're in ground week and if we're in tower week it's the same thing just over where tower branches but uh we'll just do you know like some type of like interval training or you know push-ups squats stuff like that just body weight stuff uh, work with them for like 45 minutes running back and then the rest of the day is just going through blocks of instruction, um, teaching them how to do certain apparatuses that they're going to be graded on later. Um, like the swing landing trainer or that 250 foot free tower or the 34 foot mock towers you're jumping out of just to, so, so yeah, everything is just blocks of instruction. And then after that, you have the practical exercises. So how do you handle uh, eating those meals? Cause I, I remember in airborne school, you're, you're out at the towers all, all day. So yeah. are you got like a cooler in your car or like, how are you? Um... Yeah. So, uh, we have this unlocked truck that we, we keep around, um, in the training area where we are. Um, and we'll have one of the instructors driving it out around, you know, towing around the water Buffalo and like, uh, 
you know, ice sheets, spare ice sheets during the summer and stuff like that, or chin straps if students like break their chin straps or whatever. So we got a lot of that stuff on hand. Um, so I'll put, I'll bring a big cooler with like a bunch of like ice packs in it and, uh, and just stuff it in there if I need to eat a meal or something, but it works out pretty good to where like after, you know, we, we train in the morning or work out or whatever, you know, I'll eat a meal and then, you know, roughly three hours later, we come back for lunch so I can eat a meal in the office. And then I'll bring that third meal out to the training area. Um, and I'll eat that. And then once we get back after, uh, we're done in the training area, I'll eat another meal. And so I'll get four in before going, going home. I guess. Yeah. Actually being an instructor is probably helping you because it is everyone's school is pretty regimented and it's pretty much the same every time, no matter who's going through it. So I guess you have like a, a realistic view of your, your life for the first time in the army ever. You can kind of really plot out your, what you're right. doing. Yeah. And you're not going to the field. So that's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's huge. So, um, how has this affected, I'm curious to know how has it, how has it affected your like PT tests? Um, and then I have a couple questions about the ACFT. That's what we'll end on uh, is the ACFT. Um, but how has it affected your PT test? Like your, uh, how are your sit-ups and your runtime? Cause I bet you can probably do a billion push-ups, but I, you're yeah. heavier too though. So, I mean, it could. Yeah. Um, the endurance is not as good, um, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> but, uh, I can still crank out a lot of push-ups, um, uh, and sit-ups it's the run that's more rough for me now, um, for sure. So, I mean, with the ACFT, it's easier uh, because, you know, the runtime isn't as, isn't as like, as far as the grading, it's like, you're a little, you get more time to work with. But you also have to do um, all those exercises beforehand. Right, right, right. Yeah. So like, you know, you got the trap bar deadlift um, and those types of like, you know, uh, that's that's easy you know to max but the uh like those hand release push-ups they're not you know they, they make it sound like you know they're push-ups like normal push-ups and then you're working your chest or whatever and, and your triceps is a secondary muscle group but they bring your hands in here you're it's like it's shoulders like you feel shoulders and triceps and there's no chest yeah, it's just all up here that it's using yeah. not a lot of tests which sucks because like obviously your chest is going to be one of your stronger muscles <clears throat> right definitely stronger yeah, than so. your tries and your traps right so. yeah so it's rough uh <laughs> but um but yeah just to run but i make it so i i stay within that 270 range um just because my push-ups and sit-ups are so good if i max those then my run i can I can Got a little relax leeway. a little bit on. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cause they, they took out the heel tucks um, from the ACFT. So they're doing yeah. planks now. Right. Like to max planks is like three minutes and 40 seconds. Something ridiculous. That's yeah. a long time to plank. Um, <laughs> so I was just curious how it affected. Cause I bet you can probably throw that ball over your head. 500,000 meters. Um, but I, <laughs> and you're probably clearing the deadlift. No problem. Uh, on a hex yeah. bar, it's 340 to max. You're probably, that's nothing to you. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was just curious how it affect how it's affected you. And, um, secondary question to that. Do you ever, have they ever been like, while well, you're cutting for a competition, like tried to make you do a PT test or something? No, luckily they're not. No, I, I was just wondering <laughs> yeah, if you tell them like, Hey, maybe I don't do a PT test in the next, you know, three months. Cause I can't imagine even a couple of weeks before a competition, after you're cutting so much, you're going to be tired. Dude. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I got lucky. I don't know. I don't know how, um, uh, well, so one, I guess one of the good things 
was during this um, this last competition, they asked for volunteers uh, for ops to run ops. And I was like, that sounds like a nice change of pace. Like I'm going to be in the office. I won't have to be out there in the weather. You know, I got a nice fridge right here. I can put all my meals in. <laughs> so I volunteered for that. Um, and that made it really easy towards the end because of this prep, because, um, you know, if you're an ops, you're not doing PT with like the students um, besides on those run days, which is like for ground week, we usually run twice a week, sometimes just once. Like this week was a short week. We had, uh, you know, like Good Friday. So like today, yeah. so um, you know, with the short weeks, we'll only run once during, during ground. So we ran Thursday. Um, and then during tower, you're usually running twice or three times. So you usually run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or if they feel like, you know, if the first sergeant or commander are feeling like, um, like they're in really good moods for some odd reason, um, you'll just run twice, which I always pray for, yeah. <laughs> but, but then um, on jump week, yeah. you run every day essentially, right? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So jump week, uh, there's always going to be two. Uh, instructors that will run the students down to uh, the harness shed, which is pretty much right on one mile. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so early so though. Down there. Yeah. I yeah, just, I remember early. waking up super early. It's dark. You're tired. Yeah. And I was, like, I was a RASP candidate. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to do my best at everything I do. So of course I have to yeah. carry the guide on in the morning. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm just tired. Oh. I carry this guide on. I'm just getting ready to sit in and I'm up, but my last name starts with a T. So I wake up really, really early in the morning. I run with the guide onto the pack shed and then I sit there for like 12 hours harnessed yeah. up because my name is so far back. My chalk is so late. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes you're down there at like, you know, they want you down there at three 30 at the harness shed. So super early. Yeah. So I was just curious how that affected you, but if only two instructors go down, are you guys all down there that early or do you guys get their trickle in depending on pull straws for us to actually run them down there yeah so uh like pretty much the first sergeant will like he'll plan out everything as far as like with the help of the platoon sergeants but um who he wants to run the instructors down there um and then they, they'll create this plan and send it out you know the, the week prior or whatever but um it's just random whoever he feels like choosing that'll run them down there and then everybody else um, if you're coaching on the drop zone, you'll go in to the company to take accountability of all the students. And then everybody else who isn't coaching, if you're flying, um, we just call it flying. You're just one of the jump masters jump that's master. in, the, in, the, in the plane. Yeah. Uh, then you'll go down to the, uh, the harness shed. You'll just drive down there um, and you'll, you know, find out which, you know, which bird you get, you have, and then wait for the students to come down there so you can go through, you know, sustained airborne training and all that. Um, have you done the ACFT for like record or anything yet? Not for record, you know, cause this COVID thing was really crazy. Like these last couple of years, like, uh, I know that they were, they used to drop, uh, we used to drop students for like runs. Like if they were falling out of a bunch of runs, um, if you fell out of like three of the uh, company runs, um, you'd get spot reported each time, but that third one, you were, you were gone. Okay. Um, and with the COVID thing, um, at the brigade level, they started to care less about students falling out of runs because they're like, it's COVID. There actually is no standard anymore for PT tests. <clears throat> like literally, you know, brigade was like, look, you're, you want to get these guys out of here because they're falling out of runs because they're not meeting the standard. 
what standard are you talking about? Cause there's no standard anymore. Like there's no PT test going on during COVID. So like, yeah, there was a period of time where students, it was just like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, guys weren't even allowed to leave their rooms at points and PT wasn't uh-huh. happening. So yeah, I can't, I didn't even think about the impact it had on probably a lot of people's physical fitness. Cause I mean, if you can't go to the gym and you, you're not PT cause you're not going to work and I, you know, depending on, I don't know how it worked. Um, if it was by state or by base or by command, um, exactly how it worked. But yeah, just, that's, that's curious. I didn't even think about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, luckily I got here and it was, we had our own gym for the company. So, um, we were able to use that. So, so you, have you taken an ACFT though, not for record, but just to do the events and stuff? Yeah, I've taken one, uh, just like a diagnostics, just to see kind of where we were at. Um, how do you feel about it? Um, so I like it more than the PT test. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I feel like the PT test, it was like, you're, you know, the APFT, you know, you had your pushups and your sit-ups, but, um, and then you had the run and I just felt like um, this is like a more fun way to be assessed, I guess. And it, it felt more functional to me because I'm like, okay, I see these tiny guys that can crank out you know, 70, 80 pushups. And I was one of those guys when I went through RASP, you know, I was like, um, I was doing what I thought to be like the type of CrossFit stuff, you know, like training, like a track functional fitness stuff. I was in great cardiovascular shape, hundred percent. I could do a ton of pushups, sit-ups. I could run, like I could get through everything like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like the, the PT test, I've seen these guys that'll crush it but then I'll take him out on a ruck, you know, and I'm just, and just break him off. So I was like, once the ACFT came around, I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. Cause it's, um, gives you a chance to do some, some other things, you know, the ball toss and like the, the deadlift, you're throwing that in there. And then, um, with the sprint drag carry, I felt like that was a good, um, you know, test. And then they give you more leniency on the run. So I was like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can understand. I, I think the ACFT is a little flawed still. Um, yeah. but I do think it is a better, uh, assessment for what it actually takes to be, you know, a soldier. Um, right. cause there, I know a lot of guys, like you said, that are really good at the PT test. Cause really to be at the PT test, you just do PT test stuff, like do pushups, do sit-ups, run. Exactly. But when it comes to, especially you as a mortar carrying a bunch of rounds and stuff, like dudes are, you know, falling out of rucks and they're struggling to carry. Uh, yeah. It's 13 Fox. We had a lot of radios and stuff. Like they have, yep, you absolutely. struggle on that end. And yeah, we, we were always the two heaviest, like 13 Foxes mm-hmm. and 11 Charlies. Like you guys have all this combo equipment and then we have all like the mortar, mortar stuff. And these, yeah. And then you got the 11 Bravos. And if they're not in the gun team, you know, they're carrying light stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, yeah. The, the 11 Bravo is not in the gun team. Gun teams use, they carry a lot of weight too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys, it's just, it's tough when, when that's what they look at as like, Oh, this guy's a 300 PT tester. This, this is a good soldier. That's not always right. the case. And it's not always yeah. the case. Even if they are in good shape, doesn't make them a good soldier either. So mm-hmm. I think the army even going in the direction of a more in-depth and a, a bigger, better assessment is, is good as flawed mm-hmm. as the, the ACFT may be in some uh, spots. And yeah. I know people have been complaining about different aspects of it, but I do think it is a, a much more well-rounded um, assessment than. than yeah. Than I'm sure in the next assessment. 10 years, they'll probably try to like mold it even more and change it to like fix things and make it better. But, but you know, the army. So in 10 years, it'll still be five years later than it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, all right. Well, that, that's probably where we'll we'll cut it off, guys. So, uh, Travis Finley, I'm you are an instructor at Everyone School. What is? I don't even know your rank right now. Is that sergeant first class. Uh, staff sergeant. Staff sergeant. Okay. Uh, so staff sergeant Finley, he is an Airborne instructor, uh, bodybuilder. I will put his Instagram and stuff down below. Um, I appreciate you stopping by, Travis. It's been awesome. And yeah, thank you. um this has been great and I, I'm glad we got some of the information out about um Mortarman, about Airborne School, about bodybuilding. Everything was super, super interesting. So I appreciate it. Um and I'll make sure to post all your stuff down below. Awesome. Thanks. It was uh it was great catching up and thanks for having me. Absolutely. <clears throat>